0: If you would, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I will be reading verses 1 through 5. Uh, Please stand as you are able for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Amen. You may be seated, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this time in your word. I pray now that you would help me, Lord, help me to uh, remember the things that I've studied, and may I communicate them to your people in a way that builds them up, Lord. For those who are not Christians that are here, Lord, I pray that um, you would draw them into your Son, that they would see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The book of John is very common. And what I mean by that is many people have read the book of John. They know portions of the book of John. Unbelievers know this part of the book of John in particular, the beginning. This is a place that we generally go to when we're talking to unbelievers about the divinity of Christ. Yet, there is a sense where being so familiar with the book of John kind of takes away from, takes away some of the glory and the wonder that is contained in this book. We tend to not regard it as highly as we should. As we begin our study of the Gospel of John, the beloved disciple, the apostle of Jesus Christ, what he does in these five verses, and particularly in verse one, which we won't even finish this morning, (laughs) Uh, he plums the depths, the deep things of God. That's what John does. Some who are not Christians will hear the words I just read, verses one through five, and think, what foolishness. But, you know, to what Paul says, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's why if you're not a Christian and you hear these words read, they they don't mean anything to you. They do nothing for your soul. They provide no comfort. They radiate no glory, no light. It's just the same old stuff that I've been hearing for years from Christian people. Others who hear this Read this. They distort these truths to their own to the destruction of their own souls. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. Right, they come to these verses and they mistranslate them to in an attempt to prove that Jesus is not God. Or maybe maybe people who are quote unquote Christian and are liberal leaning and just say, well, you know, he was just a great exemplar. He was an example and 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 John is really just magnifying his person so we can live like Jesus and yet many who are Christians who traffic in the scriptures who read the bible a lot they think lightly of these words they think lightly of the words of the apostle they're not captivated by the words of the beloved disciple To them, these words are mundane. Like, I want to study some obscure point of eschatology. You know, like, who's the 13th toenail on the beast's left toe? Right? But when it comes to these things, eh, I'm not very interested. I might fall asleep. Yet, For a select few, these words are life. You know what the difference is, right? The the difference really is the backdrop against which you read the words. I was having a conversation with with someone this morning and you see we painted this here, right? So there's the backdrop there. They're going to beat some words there and they told me that black letters might not look good there. We'll see. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, right? But that backdrop helps us, let's say they look good, the letters that were up there from the psalm. Be, what was it? Be still and know that I am God. All right, you should, y'all should know it because you see it more than I do. <laughs> that backdrop might be very suitable and it will highlight those words and help you see them Clearly. And to a select few, there, there's a backdrop to these verses. And to that select few, it's, it's the crimson, dark backdrop of their own sinfulness. That's the backdrop. The canvas upon which these words are are pasted, is their own sin. Not the sins of others, mind you. Right? It, it's easy for us to read the Bible and to look at somebody else and say, man, he needs this God, she needs this God. but it's our own sin and our own need of redemption that draws the Son of God from heaven. It's men and women who read these words with a heart that cries like the hymn writer wrote. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood Died he for me, who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? When John 1, 1 through 5, is read against that backdrop, these words are glorious and my prayer is this this morning that and uh, every sunday but particularly this morning is that each and every one of you would leave this place with such a disposition of heart and mind that you would and can it be that the son of god would come into the world not just to save sinners generally, but to save a sinner like me. And what John does, just wonderfully, John takes us to the very beginning. He begins his gospel, not with a genealogy, not with an earthly genealogy of the Son of God, which, which, uh, If we're speaking strictly of the second person of the Trinity, he has no genealogy. He is eternally begotten of the Father. What a glorious mystery there, the hypostatic union. But he begins in the beginning. The historical record of the creation of the world begins with these words. In the beginning, God Created The heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. And John says, in the beginning was the word. Before the world was in existence, the word was there. He existed. Before the world was, the son of God was. And he was there and he shared the Father's glory. He was, as Paul says, in the form of God. Eternal life. The Lord Jesus was with the Father. And it is this one who was manifested as the Lord Jesus Christ. Before heaven heard the beat of an angel's wing, the Son of God shared in the glory of God in eternity past. We we can't we can't really capture how awful that is in the good sense of awful. In an absolute sense, eternity, because that's what we're talking about. We're, to, we're, we're, we're talking about, or John is, is informing us, that in eternity past, the Son of God was there. And in an absolute sense, eternity is the realm in which there is no beginning and no end. If we are thinking about time, eternity is beyond time. God is not bound by time. Nothing constrains God. We live inside of all kinds of constraints. Like, time binds our existence. How old are you? That's, that's how you are bound by time, one way. When did he die? How you are bound, how long have you been married? How long have you worked there? How long does it take to travel to Florida? Right? All bound, we're, we're bound by time, yet God exists outside of that. He is not constrained by time in any way. The span of our life, the amount of time we've been married or single, the age of our children, the age of our grandchildren, we do not know and have never experienced life outside of time. We had a beginning and every one of us will have an end unless the Lord Jesus returns before them. Eternity so that, 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 that's what John is talking about here when he says, in the beginning was. That outside of time, before creation came into being, the Son of God existed. And he was there with the Father, and he was there with the Spirit. And he shared in the, the essence of God. He, he was a partaker of it, as the Father and the Spirit are. Eternity, then, is the characteristic or attribute associated with God alone. We will never be eternal. In the new heavens and the new earth, still not eternal. we, We will still be finite. We'll never be infinite. So we'll be in the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness, and it's probably still going to take me 25 minutes to run a mile. Eternity applies only to God in another way as well. Only God is uncaused. You see, it's not that the Lord Jesus is uncreated. He never came into existence. There was never a point when the second person of the Holy Trinity did not exist. He always was. Now don't get too far from the introduction of the sermon because it's this one who condescended to bear the sin of men. No one caused the word to be. He was, he is, and he will be forever. Psalm 90, verse 2. Turn there, turn to Psalm 90 with me. In Psalm 90, verse 2, we hear these words. Psalm 90, verse two. I'll, I'll read from verse one. This is and th- now uh, interesting enough, this is a prayer of Moses: "Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been the place of refuge, where your people go to hide." That's what you have been to us. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I, uh, so, you know, Moses chooses to explain the eternality of God in a way that is not strictly scientific, right? So he doesn't talk about God being boundless and and he doesn't talk that way. Basically what Moses says is before anything you can see, hear, smell, taste, or touch existed, God was there. God was there. He is He has always been there. And if you think of a being, which we we can never fully exhaust, that kind of being, our our knowledge of him will always be the knowledge of of an eternal, infinite being inside of the brain of a finite creature. But if you consider him in, in, in this Uh, in in this way, this God who is eternal, and you consider the fact that he is your refuge, then you can really get to the the Psalms that say things like he is our rock, our fortress, our protector. What can man do to us? Absolutely nothing. If God is for us, who can be against us? Absolutely nothing. No one, and nothing. John is the only author in the New Testament who uses this particular term. Now that we're going to come to, to talk about God, he, uh, uh, Jesus, he calls Jesus the Word. He says, "In the beginning was the Word." the word. This is how he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Son of God. And he does this again in First John chapter 1. Turn there uh, quickly. Look at 1 John chapter 1. So he does this in John 1 1. He does it also in 1 John we have this ref, same reference, John chapter one, first uh, John chapter one, also. in first John chapter one, beginning at uh, verse one, that which was from the beginning. First John chapter one, verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So in, in, uh, in John 1.1, 1, 1, the Gospel of John, John begins with the existence of this one, the word before time began, And then in 1 John, what he does is he speaks about this one who was from the beginning and he speaks of his incarnate form so that he's palpable, right? John knew how his voice sounded. But then, John also, John gives us another picture of him in revelation chapter 19 in revelation chapter 19 this is the picture that we have look at verse 13 revelation 19:13 here this is the lord jesus and he's coming in judgment he's coming to judge the world He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. This is the Lord Jesus. And John is the only author who directly addresses Christ this way. He's the only one who gives him this name. He refers to the Son of God by the name, the word, the word. Now, in the history of the church, some have tried. Some have tried to trace John's use of this word to Greek philosophy, or even to a to a a Jew from the first century named Philo, who was influenced by a philosopher named Plato. In other words. Um, what they tried to do is they try to rationalize, well, why is, why is John using this language? Because the term logos, that's the Greek term Paul uses, we translate it as word, has multiple meanings, and it was used in Greek philosophy. Used a lot in Greek philosophy. And basically, it was an abstract principle that holds everything together, right? And people who are really unhelpful theologians, even today, try to trace back in Jewish, excuse me, in Greek philosophy, how they possibly believed in Jesus but just didn't know who he was. Well, that's not helpful at all. Um, The reason John uses this term is not found in philosophical sources. It's not where you look If we're trying to understand the Bible, we don't go outside of the Bible to try to get to what the Bible says. So for example, if somebody's not thinking straight, you don't go to psychology and psychiatry and then say, oh, this is what the Bible must be saying. He's a manic depression with extreme paranoia. No, you go to this book. And when we're trying to interpret words, clauses, phrases, the best place to go is the Bible. Though John may have been familiar with the philosophical use of the term, there is another source that John had at hand. John's use of the name, logos, word, to address the Son of God is found in the Old Testament. And all we have to do is, uh, interesting, there are other words for word in Greek, right? At least three or four others, depending. And he could have used any one of those, but he uses this one possibly because he is writing to Gentiles, right? And he wants to capture their attention. John's a good writer, so he wants to do that. Yet, in the Old Testament, there is a word, Four word, the, the Hebrew word is dvar. And the word dvar is used, um, let's see how it's used. Look at Genesis chapter 1, because it's used there. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said. And God said. Verse 6. Then God said. Verse 9. Then God said. Verse 11. Then God said. You get it right? That's the verb form of God said. God said. In Genesis, I mean, excuse me, in Psalm chapter 33, in Psalm chapter 33, and this is, you know, uh, I, I use different translations of the Bible myself, but, you know, this is one of the reasons I like the King James and the New King James in particular, because they get the translation of this verse right. Psalm 33, verse 6. So, Genesis chapter one, this word devar, the verb form is used. And now it's used here also. Psalm 33, verse six. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth, by his spirit. The word there is ruach, which means spirit. So here, in these two verses, and there are other places that make this same point. The word is closely joined to, it's related to, in the Old Testament, to the creative power of God, to creation itself, and particularly to creation out of nothing. Ex nihilo, right? We all know that term. Where God creates out of nothing. And what does God use to create out of nothing? God uses the word, the word. But not only in creation does this term come up, the word devar is also used to speak of God revealing himself, revealing himself to individuals and revealing himself to peoples in the plural. So look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. So the word of God creates and the word of God reveals. The word of God reveals. Jeremiah in chapter 1 Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. How does God reveal himself to Jeremiah? By means of his word. God reveals himself by means of his word. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8. I'll read from verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9. I'll read from verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The, word, the Lord sent a word against Jacob. You see, so in the context of prophecy, where, where, where uh, Jeremiah is preaching to the people, not only promises, but he is also now entering into, beginning at verse eight, preaching a word of judgment against the people. It is the word of God that comes. The word of God. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33. In Ezekiel chapter thirty three and verse seven, so you, Son of Man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. And warn them for me. Amos 3.1 and, and uh, Amos 3.8 and many other places. Those are just some. The word of God not only creates, but the word of God reveals. 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 It reveals judgments. It reveals God's word of salvation. It reveals God to men. And the word also saves. The word saves. Look at Isaiah 55. In Isaiah chapter 55. And, uh, here, um, th- this is the passage where um, the Lord is inviting everyone, right? Come to the waters, um, um, come eat, buy, right? The Lord is-, is calling His people to Himself in Isaiah chapter fifty-five, and at verse ten, he's he's speaking with reference to His word here, right? And uh, but I'll re- Let me read from verse six. So you understand the context. At the point here is that the Lord, uh, that his word saves, the word of the Lord saves. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon that's an invitation to, en- to anyone and everyone who does not believe. Come to the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. You see, the, the Lord doesn't deal with us the way that we deal with each other. Right? When somebody hurts us, Right? And, and for us, as minimal. We're talking about the God of heaven who created us, he made us for himself, and all of us have turned to our own ways. It's that God who has taken the disposition to say, if you turn to me, I will pardon abundantly. Beyond measure, I'll forgive. We, don't, we, we tend not to deal with each other that way. We tend to be Spanish people say that, you know? Hard with each other. That's what we tend to be. But God is not that way. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, And make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. When God's word comes to a people, it does exactly what God calls it, uh, what God wants it to do. God, God's word saves. It's by means of His word that He saves His people. Look at Psalm one more place, Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Psalm chapter 29, beginning at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. His his voice is powerful. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The Lord speaks powerfully. He he terrifies nations. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice, excuse me, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And, And you see here the parallelism between the Lord Himself and His Word. The voice of the Lord does this, the Lord does the same thing. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Imagine that. You're so afraid of somebody, you give birth. It's a pretty, pretty intimidating presence. <laughs> and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. Now, now listen to this. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. This is why he was talking about waters at the beginning of the psalm because this is a psalm about God's judgment. And how does God come in judgment? By means of his word. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And how does he do it? He does it by means of his word. God comes to his people. He strengthens them. He empowers them, and he judges their enemies. How? By his word. God saves by means of his word. So the word creates, the word reveals, and the word saves. What John is communicating by ascribing this name, the Word, to the Lord Jesus, to the blessed second person of the Trinity, is that all of these faculties of God, all of these things that God does, these things will ultimately be accomplished in and by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, The author to the book of Hebrews captures this, I think, almost perfectly. In Hebrews chapter one, verse one, listen to what he says. One, one through two, Hebrews chapter one Hebrews chapter one, he says this. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us literally in his son. The people of God from of old, have anticipated a new creation. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? He says, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The word of God created at the beginning, and the word of God recreates now. And he's begun this process of recreation, and one day when he returns, he'll recreate the entire world but the word of God, the Lord Jesus, he creates a new people for God. The people of God anticipated a word from God, a word from God that would come to deliver them and a word from God that would come in judgment against God's enemies. And what's the book of Hebrews all about? Persevering in faith, why? Because God has spoken finally and ultimately in the person of God of his son. And the people of God also anticipated a great redemption. And what is Jesus? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 that he is our redemption. Remember at the beginning of the sermon I spoke about the few that see the crimson of their sinfulness as the backdrop to John chapter one, verses one and two. The fact that God the Son emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. The fact that he came as a man and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross should humble us to the dirt. There was nothing impressive about us. It's it's not that our redemption was caused because God looked upon us and there was beauty there. That wasn't it. There was no majesty that God should look at us Nothing in our appearance that he should desire us. God was not in heaven looking down to earth and saying, I, I, there, there is a, a glory and an, uh, 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 this people is admirable and I am drawn to them and I want to have them for myself. No, it wasn't any of that. We should have been despised and rejected by God. We should have been turned away from. He should have turned away from us. He should have despised us. We should bear our own sicknesses and carry our own pains. We should have been struck down by God and afflicted. We should have been pierced because of our rebellion and crushed because of our iniquities. That's what happens to everyone who is found outside of Christ. Christ does that, and somebody caught the reference to Isaiah 53. That's Isaiah 53. That's what God did to his son for sinners, not because he was drawn to us, but because of who he is. The Lord has punished the word, his only begotten son, for the iniquity of us all. These verses, John chapter one, verses one through two, laid upon that crimson backdrop, should should open your eyes to the mercy, the grace and love of God for sinners. God loved us and gave himself in his son for us that we might have fellowship with him. And John opens his gospel by telling us that this word who was from eternity has come into the world to save sinners. Next week, when we come back to verse 1, we'll look at the phrase, and the word was with God. And I, I think that's the only phrase we'll look at next week. <laughs> But this morning, I would exhort all of you, if if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've turned from your sins and you've believed in him, uh, you should praise God that uh, he was gracious and compassionate enough to send the light of the world into this world, that you might have life. And if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus, you ought to turn from your sins. Consider the grace and glory of God and your fallenness, your own sinfulness, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. God will abundantly pardon all who turn to him. Now, uh, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of gathering together this morning and considering the word who existed before time began and has taken upon himself humanity to redeem us from judgment. We thank you, Lord, for your grace towards us, and we ask that you would help us, Lord, to marvel and to glory in our and our Redeemer. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.